on, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Core Consult RX podcast. Cole and I had to wish AJ a very uh, happy and good luck towards his rotations. He'll be back when he can, but uh, yeah, so for those of you who watch the video version, we're definitely getting one camera angle today because, uh, you know, AJ's not here. It's going to be a busy year for AJ. It is. So I guess, yeah, the podcast takes a backseat <laughs> for his career. But, Priorities. But uh, yeah, so he's getting ready to start that. So it's just me and Cole today, and um, we got another accredited episode. We do. For it, you guys. This is a topic that I believe we've done maybe once or twice as far as some a brief overview and whatnot, but um, this is the first time we've done one that's accredited and you know you can get CE credit for. So um, we're going to be covering acne vulgaris today, kind of going over a um, you know just a brief overview of the different treatment options and uh, comparing, contrasting some of the, the different pharmacotherapy regimens that you can come up with. And uh, yeah, so thanks to our, our friends over at freece.com uh, for partnering with us again. And uh, for those of you who already have a, an unlimited membership or um, the, the gold or platinum membership with them, you know, you already get access to all of our podcast episodes. So after this, um, after the, you listen to this episode, we will give you a password to use at some point during this episode and you will use that on FreeCE's website. Uh, you'll see the episode that you're looking for uh, under their learn category or the learn tab, I should say. And um, from there, you will input the password, take your multiple choice test, and you're good to go. You get your one hour of continuing education credit for pharmacists and nurses. And if you're not a member, definitely check out their website. Uh, they've been partnering with us for quite a while now, and they have a lot of really good content. Uh, I know me and my wife both use them for our, our own CE uh, credits and um, definitely have a lot of really good resources. So thanks to them for partnering with us. Yeah. Did you get your license renewed on time? Uh, <laughs> a little bit late. I'm working on it. Oh no! Yeah, yeah. It's not. It's not expired yet. I have so much time. That's oh, it. okay. It's the end. Of, it's the end of this month. Yeah. Okay. It's. I'll pay a late fee, but you know, I, I pretty much have predicted that. A colleague of mine um, was gung ho to get it done the day before the late fee kicked in, which is the last day of March. And um, she logged on late that evening to do it, and she accidentally clicked a wrong answer, I suppose. You know, it asks you, like, mm -hmm. random questions about, like, are you a criminal, blah, blah, So she chose the wrong thing and hit next, and then it's like, eh, stop, you need to contact the Board of Pharmacy. And she couldn't go back and correct it. So uh -huh. then she had to do it the next day, got the late fee. Yeah, oh, yeah. it's rough. Well, attention to detail, I guess. And actually, interestingly, her husband had done the exact same thing like an hour before and she was like you're so silly how could you click the wrong uh -huh. button and karma then she, then she does that's yeah. pretty funny yeah. yeah no i've definitely i've actually done the exact same thing really and uh it was a couple years ago now but i was same thing I, it, this mine wasn't probably before the lady it was probably like you know <laughs> april 30th but uh i was rushing and wasn't reading this stuff because i was just clicking through it and mm -hmm. yeah i was like oh Sorry, criminal, or whatever <laughs> I clicked the wrong thing. I was like, you can't get a license. That's like your that's your exam to see if you can continue on to the next year of being a pharmacist. Yeah. Is, do you, do read, you pay attention do you pay at attention all to simple when questions? you're just answering questions about the legality of you working? <laughs> Answer's no. <laughs> so no. don't think you should trust me as a pharmacist. But Well, fortunately, I'm all set till April 2024. So that's good. That's good. Jen, Jen also hasn't renewed hers, though, my wife. So, uh, 
Yeah, I feel pretty good about it. She she's like you she, feel, she, feel good she about goes, that. She goes, You haven't renewed yours yet, have you? Like checking to make sure she's not the only slacker. I was like, No. Well hopefully if one of you didn't get your license and got fired, the other one could at least continue to work. Right. So it's probably important that at least Fingers one crossed of you gets it's her. her. I know. <laughs> God, you know how mad she'd be. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, babe, I gotta stay home. Oh man, yeah. Unfortunately, I'm not legally allowed to work as a pharmacist <laughs> right now, so you can really have to dig in deep. It's called two jobs. No. Yeah. Long story short, check out free seeds. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so the moral of that story is check out free seeds so you yeah. don't end up in our situation. Don't be us. But um, uh, yeah, so acne vulgaris. Yeah, we're talking about acne. Um, like you said, we've talked about it before, but it's been years, and the first time we ever talked about it. This was our long lost episode. Is it? If, if you recall, yep. We had um, uh, oh, Morgan, right. somebody, somebody from my class. We recorded it in our old studio, which was your old home office. Yeah. And uh, for whatever reason, it was skipping like every I don't know five seconds or so. That's right. And we you, lost the episode. You tried to clean it up, couldn't clean it up. We just decided Sounded horrific. We had to re-record. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's our long lost episode. I forgot about that. It was acne? Yeah. Maybe this is bad luck that we're doing this. Uh, could be. Maybe uh, we're going to have a really bad acne breakout tomorrow. What, what, what's really going to be unfortunate is if the recording just messes up on this one, and then we just know it's just this topic. I did just hear the computer ding, so it's very likely that that means something bad. It was telling. It was just saying the Creative Cloud uh, has updates for from Adobe, <laughs> from Adobe that are available. So thanks, thanks yeah, Adobe. Yeah, I thanks. forgot to to turn the volume down on the desktop. So we're going to start with the basics uh, with acne. I'm sure you all know these things, but you know it's good to review them so that you can explain certain things to patients. But it's obviously a very common inflammatory disorder of the pilosebaceous unit. Um, as far as some pathophysiology, why it happens, why it happens to certain people and doesn't happen to others, or happens to some in, in much more severe degrees, um, like me as a teenager and others, not so much. Um, there's uh, one process called follicular hyperkeratinization, where dead cells block the sebaceous duct or the hair follicles. That's kind of the, the primary thing. Then sebum accumulates in keratinous material, plugging the duct or the hair follicle, and that causes the formation of, or can cause the formation of, whiteheads called closed comedones. Um, the plug extends to the upper canal and dilates its opening is another way that it can present, and that would be what we would call a blackhead. That's an open comedone. Densely packed um, keratinocytes, oxidized lipids, and melanin all contribute to the dark color in that case of the open comedones, the blackheads, um, the, which separates them and makes them distinct from the closed comedones. And then you mentioned the, the sebum production, increase in sebum production. Well, that, that trapped sebum is basically a, a buffet for the, the bacteria that um, are responsible for, you know, or at least partly responsible for causing uh, the acne in the first place. So the and they've actually gotten a different um, a different name now because they they were formerly called pro uh, pro bacterium acnes. Now they are cutie bacterium acnes, which I think is a kind of a hilarious name, cutie bacterium. But uh, it's, it's an, anything but cute. Yeah, it's not a, to judge anybody. I, uh, we had the worst. I, I, I had the worst acne of all time. So I struggled. Not to yeah. say I don't. I don't even. I, it still happens to me, and I'm really? however old I am. If every time I get a pimple or zit or something, I, you've seen. We established that you watched The Office in the past. Yeah, yeah, or, yeah. So there's the episode. I can't remember. I think it's where. I think it's where. <laughs> um, uh, uh, Michael. Yeah, the, the Scott. The I think Michael it's where Scott, yeah. Michael Scott has um, a zit on his lip, but he's convinced that it's, or maybe it's a cold sore, and he's convinced that it's um, 
herpes. Oh. And then, or, which, of course, cold sore is a type of herpes. But then he calls all of his old girlfriends and oh no t- tells them <laughs> he calls one and says i probably shouldn't get into it now but it's very funny but he all those children that listen to this episode he, he also makes a comment about um being adult and having acne and that's always what i think of whenever i have something <laughs> pop up you you really like the office i've noticed that about you i mean of- i watched it a lot for a while i haven't seen it in a long time but it's just great for you know yeah references yeah it, is, it, is, it does have a lot of good references it does. But uh, that, that kidibacterium acne is the, the bacteria itself. They are anaerobic, lip, lipophilic, um, and, you know, resident bacteria. So they're there naturally. But um, in that sebum, you know, rich environment, they're allowed to kind of, you know, proliferate. And, and the, the being in that plugged hair follicle, uh, you know, they can obviously sort of signal inflammatory mediators and other things that uh, to that site that can sort of... Uh, Turn the turn the whole process and and, and ex- escalate the whole process. I guess is the word I'm trying to look for that, um, you know, that, that bacteria and those inflammatory mediators um, is what initially forms like the papule or, or pustule that that inflama- inflammation that red spot that you know patients will get. And then if in certain situations where if the inflammation and, and inflammatory response becomes you know bad enough, there actually may be a follicular wall rupture that spills that you know bacteria and other follicular components into the dermis that is kind of in the surrounding tissue and um, cause, or the surrounding dermis rather um, around that area. And, and that's what's going to cause the, the nodule that we think of when we're thinking of like nodule or cystic acne. Uh, a lot of times as far as the, you know, the thing kind of starting it off as far as the sebum production, uh, that is sort of related to like hormonal changes, um, you know, a rise in uh, DHEA levels during childhood can increase the sebum production and other androgenic hormones. So, you know, dihydrotestosterone, for example, uh, but anything, and you see this obviously in patients who are using you know, um, testosterone replacement and things like that, they have a tendency to, to develop acne because, again, there's, you're stimulating that excessive sebum production that allows the bacteria to grow and flourish and just go, you know, goes in that process. But um, a lot of different moving parts, but it all kind of starts with those keratinocytes, like Cole said, the bacteria, the sebum production. So any of those things that we can do to sort of inhibit or, or calm any of those processes down uh, are going to help with treating the acne. Right. Do you like how I stopped myself mid-story with that office story before I got anything inappropriate? Yeah, yeah, it was good. I'm proud of myself. Yeah, good job, man. Um, So just to define some of the terms you mentioned, papule, pustule, cystic, nodular. A papule is a small, raised, tender bump on the skin. A pustule is a raised white lesion with filled pus. It's usually less than five millimeters in diameter. Um, You can have papulopustular acne, um, which is characteristic of a lot of people who have acne, and it usually resolves without scarring in most cases. Um, But there are some more severe forms, like nodular acne. This is produced through deeper dermal inflammatory infiltration. It appears as warm, tender, firm lesions, and they're usually 5 millimeters or greater. That's part of what distinguishes it from a pustule. Um, they may leave permanent scars, um, which is unfortunate. And, and if they are causing scarring, can kind of um, classify them in a more severe form, which might um, indicate them for some more significant treatments. We'll talk about that. Um, when the lesions are extensive and severe, the term acne conglobata is used. Um, and there's cysts as well, which are um, superative nodules. 
the uh, the nodule acne uh, or cystic acne, I should say. Um, did you have to deal with that when you were younger? Was it that bad? I, I guess mine was not that that bad. But you know when I did have to deal with that was when I was trying to grow a beard. I was in pharmacy school. Uh-huh. Okay, I was trying to grow a beard, and um, you know people like hair hair uh, simulate hair growth, support hair growth. Take biotin, so I took biotin. Probably took way too much biotin. Yeah, yeah. And I was getting these. Very painful, which I presume is probably because I, I didn't have these as much as a kid, but I guess nodular acne on my jawline. Uh-huh. Um, it was very bothersome, and it was kind of covered by the beard, so I didn't really think too much about it cosmetically, but it was just very painful. And then eventually, I think in class or something, I came across the fact that excessive biotin can cause cystic, non- acne. cystic acne. Yeah, And I was like, oop, I get rid of this stuff. Biotin can have effects on a lot of other things, too. Yeah. Um, lab values. Lab values. A lot of, number of lab values yeah. can have an effect on, so caution with those hair skin and nail vitamins yeah and it's funny you mentioned that in particular because so that exact situation happened to my my wife's twin sister my sister-in-law yeah and uh she was always dealing with acne issues and and for this period of time she was like getting real bad like nodules cystic you know bumps and uh she could not figure out why she's like how in the world am i in my 30s and still dealing with this and blah 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 um trying all kinds of different topicals and stuff and then i don't remember what happened like or how i can't like saw her did but she something about the biotin came up mm-hmm. and i was like well yeah it can be used for hair and nails and stuff and uh, i'm like well how much do you take and she goes i don't know like hundreds of milligrams <laughs> i was like what it's like way too much yeah oh, it was like preposterously too much and uh i'm like well you know that like it's it can cause cystic acne right and she's like what are you talking about <laughs> i was like yeah so that might be and as soon as she stopped it it like went away that's amazing so yeah, yeah no same for me yeah that was pretty uh and my beard didn't lack at the time. No. So. It's lacking right now. I know. I got none. Sh- because I have zero beard now. You shaved, you shaved it all off. I, I had to take biotin again. <laughs> to get it back. <laughs> to get it back is the only way to grow it. <laughs> but yeah, so the, the nodular acne is, and we'll get to that, obviously, when we get to the treatment options, but the nodular acne, the cystic acne, that's where we are worried about scarring and whatnot, and, and usually what we would consider more severe cases where we have to escalate therapy to you know, include combo therapy and uh, systemic therapy on top of it sometimes. Right. So. We'll, we'll get into all that. So the severity does exist kind of on a spectrum. Um, at the most basic level, you would just say they have comedonal acne, mm-hmm. open or closed comedones, no inflammatory papules, no nodules. A step up from that would be considered mild acne. We have the comedones, plus we have a few inflammatory papules and, pastule, and pustules. Um, up from that is moderate acne, comedones, plus a fair amount of inflammatory papules and pustules. More lesions are present um, than in the milder case, of course. And then you get to the severe acne, which is the nodulocystic acne, which you know can be caused by excessive biotin. Um, we have comedones. <laughs> as we've established. As we've, as we've established. We have comedones, inflammatory papules, and pustules, plus the large nodules um, that are greater than 5 millimeters in diameter. And in these cases, scarring is often possible. I imagine that a dermatologist would measure that. I'm not sure that you would see a um, that you would see a primary care doc measure it. I feel like they would just look at it and be like, "Yeah, that's probably pretty severe." I, I know I do. 
Anytime I see measure any, it, oh yeah, like you I'm measure every every patient every, that's in there. Let me take I a go, look hang at on. that. Even if they don't even ask me about the acne, that's not a nodule. Go, actually, that's just a pus. Yeah, let me go ahead and get a, my my handy dandy millimeter. It's four point nine <laughs> millimeters. That is not a nodule. Yeah, so no to whatever you were gonna ask for. <laughs> no, um, I I would think a lot of times too, like dermatologists see it so often that yeah. it's one of those things that they're like, yeah, nah, severe yeah. enough. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, but I guess by de- by definition, the five millimeter cutoff. Yes. Uh, the the next thing that I think it's important to consider that you know I, I oftentimes find myself kind of forgetting I guess would be the fact that the the vehicle itself that the that the topical agent is suspended in is important you know so whether it's a gel or a cream or what have you um, some ways to kind of differentiate and the, the two most important ones I feel like are the gels and the creams because it, when you think of a gel I feel like oftentimes we kind of like default into ointment as well and those those are you know the same type of thing but gels have like a a drying effect to them um and so for a patient who is presenting with like really oily skin and you know obviously has that sebum production or overproduction uh, occurring then a gel tends to be a much better vehicle for the topical agent to be in and that's why a lot of these acne medications do have like cream formulations gel formulations and so on um whereas the cream itself you know has a moisturizing effect so if you have a patient with you know overly dry skin then uh, using a a cream topical um, option would probably be better than a gel in those patients obviously and then you're also going to have situations where you know patients have you know maybe dry skin but it's a large area like a patient um, you know on their back for example Uh, then in that case instead of a cream um, if possible because the cost can be a factor here but if possible then the the different drugs that come in a, a solution um, which is obviously uh, easier to kind of put it in a larger area of skin um, is is ideal now if the cost is an issue it's not like you can't use you know a cream or, or a gel or what have you but um, the solutions definitely make it a lot easier to kind of cover the entire area without having to worry about missing spots and and whatnot right but cost uh usually solutions tend to be more expensive any kind of fancy and and i mean forget things like foams and all that stuff you're you're gonna definitely have to pay it's funny that's high price for those solutions would be because i consider that like the most basic of liquid vehicles a solution right but yeah Yeah. they can be i guess it's hard to get those particles and (laughs) to stay there i suppose (laughs) but yeah um yeah, yep. definitely. Uh, the, I, I see them every once in a while, but the vast majority of people, I feel like it, it's a cost issue. Yeah, no, it's important. Um, okay, so let's get into some of the medications. So we're going to start with the topical retinoids. These are vitamin A derivatives. There's a number of them. There's four of them. Um, you're probably familiar with most of them. Tretinoin is branded as Retin-A. Adapalene is Differin. Tazeratine is Tazerac. And um, the, maybe the lesser known one is triferritine, which is a cleave. So these bind to retinoic acid receptors, RAR receptors, within keratinocytes. Tretinoin, adapalene, and tazeratine bind to RAR alpha and RAR beta. Triferritine, which is the a cleave, binds very selectively to RAR gamma. So slightly different. The um, Gamma comprises about 87% of the retinoic acid receptors in the skin, interestingly. After binding, the complexes are transported into the nucleus to activate retinoid hormone response elements. 
And all of this process normalizes follicular keratinization and limits the cohesiveness of the keratinocytes. And that's how it acts to reduce comedone formation. Have you ever seen anybody on that, a cleave? No. It came out a couple of years ago, and I haven't. I don't think I've seen anybody on it yet. No, I have not. But, um, yeah, it's. I haven't seen anything that's strikingly different about that one in particular as far as any data or anything like that. But Right. The mechanism is interesting, but... Yeah. As far as, is it going to work a lot better? I don't know. Mm, probably not. So kind of going uh, a little bit deeper into the vitamin A derivatives, typically, um, you know, they're, they're going to be something that you apply to the entire area that's affected. So they're, they're not something that's great for like spot treatment or anything like that. Um, if the patient is having any sort of like um, post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation, uh, then vitamin A derivatives are great for healing some of that skin and enlightening some of that, that, um, hyperpigmentation of the or the skin that has has had undergone hyperpigmentation and then the other thing that's important to remind patients is a lot of times when they're applying a, a retinoid topically and, and really the the oral um vitamin a derivatives i feel like this have this, a little bit of this as well um which we'll get in later into later but the uh the acne itself kind of tends to get a little worse before it gets better and i think that's an important you know counseling point because Mm -hmm. obviously if if you're you know dealing with with acne and you're you know trying to you're seeking help to get rid of it and all of a sudden you put on this cream and it starts getting worse it's probably not going to be great for adherence uh and so just kind of reminding patients that don't panic if you see it getting worse because that does tend to happen um it's also a really good option for not just getting control of like the acne flare-up or at least being part of the regimen that controls the acne to begin with but then using it as maintenance therapy as well um, tends to be you know this this class tends to be a good option for maintenance therapy kind of to keep the acne from coming back again right um, typically speaking uh, these are applied at nighttime um, th- there is some thought that the UV light uh, can decrease the, the efficacy because it disrupts the chemical stability of the the drug um, as far as like which of these is the most light stable? Typically, adapalene is considered to be the one that the UV light tends to have the least amount of impact on. Um, there's also a, a tretinoin version uh, that's called micro or um, retin-A micro, and it's a micronized form of tretinoin that is basically protecting it from UV light exposure and um, it protects the chemical integrity, structure integrity and uh, make sure that that doesn't happen if the patient does use it in a different time of day other than, you know, nighttime. Um, one thing that's, that's also kind of interesting about this class is um, specifically tazeratine is the one that is listed as like contraindicated during pregnancy. Um, we, we do know that these drugs as a class tend to, especially the systemic versions of these, we, we always avoid in pregnancy. Mm-hmm. But um, tazeratine, even though it is topical, is still contraindicated. And the other topical agents in this class don't necessarily have the same contraindication, but I my kind of rule of thumb is usually to avoid these if possible. Right. Um, but tazeratine is the one that for sure, the, it's actually in the package labeling that it's contraindicated. Yeah. Tretinoin oral is used for um, cancer, mm-hmm. interestingly. Um, so we were talking about a cleaf and whether it's better than the others. Not really sure. There have been some studies, older studies, um, comparing some of these to give us some guidance or at least tell us that they're similar. There was one meta-analysis comparing adapalene 0.1% gel to tretinoin 0.025% gel. It found similar efficacy maybe the adapalene had better tolerability and uh, a little bit more rapid improvement, which is positive. Overall, very similar. 
Uh, there was one study from 1998 in the Journal of Dermatology. It was a randomized control trial with tazerotine 0.1% gel versus tretinoin 0.025%. And tazerotine had greater reduction in non-inflammatory lesions in that one. Otherwise, they were similar. There was another one from 2001, another randomized control trial with adapalene 0.3% versus tazerotine 0.1%, finding that adapalene is non-inferior as far as efficacy. Uh, but better better tolerated from a side effect standpoint. So, I don't know. I don't know. If there's one that like stands out. They all seem pretty I, similar. I guess my my the way I kind of keep them straight in my head. The Tazerac because for I don't know if you remember this from like when when we were in school and stuff. But the the Tazerac I feel like is something that for a long time was considered to be like the most effective, but also the one that has the most side effects. And so like the most like um, irritation of the skin and blah blah blah. So I, I think with you know, with, with those comparative studies, you know, that the adapalene, the higher strength, the higher concentration of adapalene being equal as far as efficacy to Tazerac, but also better tolerated, I think was that usually was enough for me to kind of get pushed towards towards that option for, you know, where I need a little bit stronger topical option. Then I go with the adapalene just to make sure it's the higher strength. And then I don't have to worry as much about the irritation, skin irritation and whatnot. But um, yeah. I do. That's how I kind of keep them straight. But the moral of the story is any of them are, are options. Right. Um, right. And speaking of that micronized uh, tretinoin, I, I just happened to pull this something up and, and look at this, but it, there's actually, uh, it's, it's something that if a patient has a known fish allergy, that they're not supposed to use the micronized tretinoin 0.05% gel because apparently it, care, it contains soluble fish proteins. Hmm. And so, yeah. I, but it's weird that they don't, like specifies it like just any fish. I suppose. So you can't have a pet goldfish. Uh, no. If which I don't That's know why out. you would if you have an allergy to them. I but it's not shellfish. It's fish. Just fish. Just fish. Shellfish get a pass. Huh. At least they don't mention anything about that. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I did. I actually didn't realize that. I just happened to randomly see that. Nope, I didn't know that either. Cool. Interesting. Look at us. We're learning in real time. So that's the um, the vitamin A derivatives that. Uh, are going to focus more on the sebum, the comodome production. But there's another angle you can attack, which is the bacteria. So we can use antimicrobials topically, systemically. Um, so we'll talk about the topical antimicrobials first. One that you're probably very familiar with that's branded all over over the counter as different things is benzoyl peroxide, um, which comes in a couple of different combo forms with, antibi- <clears throat> with antibiotics. Benzoyl peroxide plus clindamycin is benzoclin. Um, with erythromycin is benzamycin. There's some other prescription options like Dapsone, which is branded as Axone. Um, there's a sulfacetamide wash and cleanser, which is usually combined with sulfur. And then there's some minocycline preparations. And we'll go through each of these individually, but there's minocycline 4% foam, MZEK. Minocycline 1.5% foam, which is Z- Zilksy. And I think that one, that yeah, five times yeah, yeah, zero chance. I think, and I think that one's the one that's approved for rosacea specifically. The four percent foam is the acne, yeah. but yeah, they're both minocycline formulations. Yeah, I've, yeah. I've never seen anybody on them. Have you? Um, I feel like minocycline four percent foam sounds familiar, but maybe that was a while ago. Yeah, I can't imagine that's super cheap. No, can't imagine so. So benzoyl peroxide, you know, like Cole said, I'm, I'm sure all of you have at least seen this, if not used it yourself, but it's widely available over the counter with every kind of concentration in between 2.5 up to 10 and everything in between. Uh, it has both antibacterial and um, 
comedolinic properties as well. So for patients who do have, you know, just, just blackheads that they're trying to clear up or just whiteheads they're trying to clear up, it can be used for that as well. Um, but like I said, the 2.5% is being on the lower side up to 10%. Um, as far as like, which is, you know, how much more effective is, is the 10%. There's actually been at least one study that when they compared the 2.5 to the 10, there wasn't really a difference in, you know, in uh, outcomes as far as how quickly it cleared the, the patient's skin up. Um, there was definitely a increased, um, presence of adverse effects though. So, and if any of you have used the 10% benzoyl peroxide, I'm sure, it, you know, you've, you've kind of witnessed that it definitely can dry out the skin really bad and cause some irritation over time. So usually the, the higher concentrations are saved for more uh, or larger areas of skin and the, the, the lower concentrations used for more sensitive skin, but uh, it may be one of those situations where starting off with the lower concentration is probably good for you know, most patients, at least from the, from to start and then escalate if, if necessary. But, um, patients also need to be warned that the benzoyl peroxide can, can bleach their clothes. can also bleach your hair as well, but clothes is probably more commonly seen. And unless you're trying to have like, you know, really cool haircut then. No, I specifically that'd be a cheaper way of doing it. Remember a buddy I knew in middle and high school who, um, I suppose he used the little, like, it was like a cotton circle soaked in um, benzoyl peroxide, you know, I don't know what the brand was, but you would just take it and wipe it on like your forehead or whatever on your nose and just all over the place. And I remember he had dark, like black kind of hair, but on the fringes, it would, it was like bleached and it would kind of be a red color because of the, what he was wiping, I suppose, getting it in his hair. And, um, for years he had like, I guess he just didn't realize and was consistently using it. And I didn't really realize it at the time. Um, but it was from those benzoyl peroxide wipes. He was That's using. hilarious. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. The, uh, I, I was, I wanted to like, when I was, I was probably like 10th grade or so, I wanted to bleach my hair. My parents were like, nah. <laughs> so I had this whole plan. Of you like, grew up in Charleston. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I was like, oh, I never I, had an, I never had a, a want to bleach my hair, but I imagine it was a, yeah, it was a there coast, was more coastal doing, thing. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, one of those things, I was 16 and thought it was the coolest. Yeah. And, uh, but I, I remember thinking like, hmm. So I read like the label on benzoyl peroxide and I was, using oh. it for my, and I was like, huh, huh? I wonder how, how grounded I would be yeah. if I used it. And I'm like, eh, I probably shouldn't. Um, benzoyl gosh, I would have looked so ridiculous. Hair. All the acne on your head would have cleared up. It would have. It would have been finally taken care of <laughs> after all these years. Um, one thing that you may see if you're just for the dispensing pharmacist listening, the, to, if you're dispensing tazeratine lotion or foam, um, at least on the package insert or the label, it, it, it lists benzoyl peroxide as, as an interaction with this tazeratine the idea being that there's possible degradation of the tazeratine from the oxidizing effects of benzoyl peroxide uh, there was however a study from way back in 2002 that uh, did show that the combo of those two agents together is better than either of them is you know monotherapy and so in most cases you know you can kind of disregard that interaction or at least if nothing else just have patients kind of separate them out um, that would be be fine but um, if you see that interaction it doesn't mean that it's like a contraindication or anything like that right yep um, so there's also topical urethromycin and clindamycin that we mentioned commonly used very often um, you're probably used to uh, as a pharmacist, maybe mixing one of them uh, kind of together with it still you want before you send out. And I'm pretty sure when I was a new pharmacist, I probably sent it out a couple of times before I mixed it together. I don't know how that ended up working out, but nope, they never came back and asked me about it. Um, so you're clear. <laughs> I'm good. Um, but you don't want to use these by themselves. They need to be in combination with the benzoyl peroxide. They come branded. 
Um, or those red. are the ones you have to mix up. The ones yes, that are yes, the combo yes. products. Like Benzoclan yeah, yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Forgot about those. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that you uh, and then or retinoids you could use it. I I'm, I guess yeah I guess there's a erythromycin or clindamycin. I think it's clinda and tretinoin together. Okay, it's a combo. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, so that's out there. There's also dapsone that I mentioned. So this improves primarily inflammatory lesions. Uh, there's a 5% concentration that's applied twice daily. There's a 7.5% concentration that's applied once daily. Um, interestingly, dapsone um, is a sulfone. It's not a sulfonamide, so it's not contraindicated in patients with a severe sulfa allergy. Um, though, you know, it kind of sounds similar, but it's not. Yeah, because I feel like most systems put a sulfa allergy in this. Like Wal- Walgreens, I think it was, that changed this at some point when I was like an intern or something, where they actually would make you specify, is it a sulfone, sulfonamide, and you couldn't just put a sulfa allergy. Really? Yeah. Wow. I, I, I'm Unless I've just like dreamed that. but I'm, That's great. I'm I mean, I'm, sure. I don't feel like I would be able to get, get that information, you know, like like the patient would know the difference if they're telling me they have an allergy. Yeah, I, mean? I, I guess it's based on like what they had, like like if it was at Bactrim or was, what was it that oh, caused the allergy, then you would Based know on the medication, there. yeah, you would. And based on your knowledge of chemical structures, you would right. you would then dictate. <laughs> oh, that's obviously oh, well, a, that's a soul phone. Yeah. It's not a soul phone. It's yeah, your Googling frantically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so this can also cause temporary yellow or orange discoloration to the skin if applied with benzoyl peroxide. Um, and interestingly, data shows some better results in female patients than males of note. Yeah. So there is a new class of medication as of August 2020. It's um, that, a topical option. Um, Winlevy is the, the brand name. Um, class Coderone is, is a generic name, but it's it's a topical androgen receptor inhibitor. And so it's competing with androgens, and specifically dihydrotestosterone, uh, for binding to that receptor um, you know, at the androgen receptor site uh, within the sebaceous gland in the hair follicles. So the androgen binding to that that receptor is going to increase that sebum production. You get the androgenic effects. Uh, whereas if this med binds to it, you're inhibiting that receptor from being able to be activated. And that thought is that you shut down some of those uh, excessive sebum production um, processes. So it's it's a twice daily application uh, for this med. And some adverse effects, you know, the common one that you'll hear about is just dry skin, just some irritation of the skin site. Uh, or the application site, rather. But um, because it's topical, we kind of forget about the possibility of, of systemic effects in a lot of it, a lot of these meds. Been, and for a lot of times, it's for, you know, the retinoids and things like that. It's not usually a big deal from a systemic standpoint. With You know, maybe the exception of Tazerac being the contraindication of pregnancy. But uh, in this one in particular, there have been case reports where it's led to amenorrhea, um, it's led to HPA axis suppression. Um, there's even been some situations where hyperkalemia um, has been uh, has occurred when someone's used this topically. So it's one of those uh, things where it, it's probably a rare situation, and in most patients who are you know otherwise healthy, it's not going to be a big deal as long as you're watching for you know the occurrence of amenorrhea or something. But just be aware that there is some systemic absorption with this drug, even though it's given topically, and uh, you know just be on the lookout for those type of side effects. Sure, sure. Um, another option is azelaic acid, branded as Phenacea. It has antimicrobial activities, but also comatolytic and mild anti-inflammatory activity. Um, it was shown to be as effective as benzoyl peroxide 5% or clindamycin 1% in one randomized control trial. 
Um, there's also salicylic acid, which you probably see um, a lot over the counter as well. This is a com comatolytic agent. I feel like frequently like a spot type treatment. Right? Yeah, yeah. Usually, if it's a small area, like blackheads or something like that, that's when you can get away with just that instead of something more intense. Yeah. Um, and just to kind of reiterate some of the combination options, there's clindamycin, benzoyl peroxide, which I mentioned benzoclin, but also DUAC and Onextin. There's clindamycin tretinoin, which is Zeana, erythromycin, benzoyl peroxide, benzamycin, adapalene, benzoyl peroxide, epiduo, you used to see that one a lot, tretinoin, benzoyl peroxide is Twinio. 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 That's a cool one. Uh, epiduo, I think, is probably the one I've seen the most out of all those. Yeah, same. All right, so those are all the topical options that you know are out there, and in some cases, we need to escalate things to a systemic option. And just like we have topical antibiotics, we have oral antibiotics as well. Uh, and we typically target antibiotics or, or use antibiotics that have uh, anti-inflammatory effects as well. And so doxycycline, minocycline, and then serocycline um, are the three tetracycline derivatives that are, you know, kind of widely used for acne. Um, also, in some cases, erythromycin uh, has been used. Um, sulfamethoxazole, trimethoprim, Bactrim has been used. And then azithromycin has also, you know, been used in this, this case. Um, tetracyclines uh, tend to be probably the most widely used, and they do have that, the anti-inflammatory properties to them so they're decreasing the the production and the secretion of cytokines um, such as you know, various interleukins um, and also tumor necrosis factor alpha and so the others will help with inflammation as well but tetracyclines do tend to be kind of the go-to class uh, for for treating acne specifically or, or rosacea or something along those lines yeah um, I feel like with the erythromycin you know the one that's going to cause all the GI issues and so who's going to want to take that every day Bactrim, it's like, well, we already have enough people on doxy, so why use another very common, you know, oral antibiotic that you that covers MRSA when you don't have to? So that's where I would be a little bit leery of using Bactrim, and then azithromycin. Like, if we don't need any more resistance with that, we're we're hanging on by a thread as far as that working anyway. So, right, I wouldn't uh, think that would be a good a uh, good option for most patients. But um, doxy, mina, and serocycline are probably the three that you would run into yeah probably you probably want to limit use for that reason but um still used to see it pretty frequently yeah um, for acne um, they do provide systemic antibiotics do provide faster improvement compared to the topical options um, generally you want to limit treatment to three to four months so a lot of times it ends up going longer than that uh, but that would be ideal um, like Mike mentioned, resistance is a concern. Did you already go through the resistance mm -hmm. information? Um, so erythromycin resistance is the most common, whereas minocycline resistance is rare um, if you had to stratify those. Um, if the antibiotics are stopped and need to be restarted, use the same agent as before, which I guess makes sense, but I kind of had to think about for a second because I was thinking about it from an infection perspective, which, you know, if you're trying to beat an infection, you might switch antibiotics, but this is a little bit different where you don't want to create unnecessary resistance i suppose yeah because and i think in this case too you're you're trying to help with the inflammatory process because some of some of the doxycycline doses that we'll talk about are sub therapeutic when it comes to antimicrobial action so i think that a lot of that a lot of it's coming from the anti-inflammatory side of things when it comes to treatment of acne but at the same time you don't want to induce resistance with mrsa or any you know type of staph strep or whatever right. it's you come into contact with right so i think that's yeah um, and like we mentioned before, don't use it 
alone, or I guess we're talking about the topical agents, but with oral agents also, don't use it alone. Prescribe benzoyl peroxide or a topical retinoid or both along with the oral antibiotic. Have you actually seen sericycline at all? No. I haven't really seen it either. I think it was approved in 2018, um, so it's been around for a while. But, uh, I mean, Doxy's been around since the 60s, so right. that one's uh, a lot older. And you, if you think about it from, like, the original, like, tetracycline, you know, that that one had the, the broadest spectrum of activity when it came to their the, the antimicrobial abilities. And doxycycline got a little bit more narrow, minocycline a little bit more narrow from that. Both of those are kind of the second generation tetracyclines. And then with sericycline, um, that one has the most narrow spectrum and, uh, you know, tends to be, if you're really worried about the resistance aspect, you know, of things, and then that would be technically a, a good option. The problem is obviously the getting it covered and the price and all that because doxy and minocycline have been around for much longer. Right. Right. But yeah, that's the, the their claim to fame though is it's got such a narrow spectrum of activity that you can not have to worry as, as much about resistance. Interesting. A couple other tidbits about them. Minocycline is available as an extended release formulation branded as Solodine. Uh, it's a once daily dose um, that's weight based. One milligram per kilogram per day is the optimal dose. Doxycycline is, like Mike mentioned, available in a sub-antimicrobial dose for 20 milligrams twice a day. The purpose of this would be to reduce inflammation, but also possibly decrease resistance potential with it. Yeah. The uh, And, of course, they have to make the lower strengths, or at least historically, were more expensive than 100 yeah. milligrams. Of course. Of course they are. Well, they're capsules, so it's not like you can cut them. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. I, uh, they, I think they come as tabs too. Yeah, I think there's because there's one that's like a, a, it's like a forty milligram that has like a twenty or a thirty immediate release and a ten yes. extender or vice versa rather, yes. and then one that's like a twenty and twenty right. or something. Yeah. yeah, they're they're yeah. There's all oh man, Ugh, having a lot of flashbacks. PTSD. There's all sorts of different doxycycline formulations now yeah. that we're going. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Another option that uh, is available um, would be in the form of an oral contraceptive. So, you know, you have a female patient that's looking for contraception. Um, you know, combined oral contraceptives are obviously going to contain both estrogen and progesterone um, or a progestin. Um, they can be effective therapies in some cases or depending on the progestin that's used uh, for acne, you know, treatment as well. And the... Um, Progesterone, you know, component is really important to kind of pay attention to because they can be sort of uh, put into sort of two different uh, camps, if you will. They can have the progestins that are, you know, very androgenic. Uh, and so the, you know, there's the earlier generation progesterones that um, have that cross reactivity with androgen receptors. And then as things kind of progressed, they came out with new uh, contraceptives and whatnot. Then the progesterone started to exhibit more um anti or at least less androgenic properties and then eventually um, we found you know an anti-androgenic progesterone so you know we have a few of them um, and specifically we have three that are, are approved um, by the FDA for uh, the treatment of acne um, so we have estrostep um, which contains norethindrone um, we have orthotricycline which is the it contains norgestimate as the progesterone and then um, we have yaz and there's other names you know for them as well but that has contains drosperinone and and so those are all going to be considered to have less androgenic activity and drosperinone in particular is one that a lot of times would be considered to be like anti-androgenic so it's like the most mm -hmm. um, androgen resistant um, of the progesterones and so there have been a few 
randomized controlled trials that have suggested that there is a, a slightly greater benefit when using drosperinone over something like norgestimate. Um, but basically you want to at least have the patient on one of those and not on one of the other uh, progesterone you know, oral contraceptives that will basically increase sebum production and could potentially make acne worse. Um, so things to, to kind of consider. But drosperinone-containing products tend to be the one that uh, work the best. Right. Uh, there's another option that might seem unusual if you hadn't heard about it being used for this before, but it's spironolactone, which is obviously medication used for blood pressure, used in heart failure. Um, but it competes with aldosterone for receptor sites in the distal renal tubules. Um, it increases sodium, chloride, and water excretion. But for our purposes with acne, it has anti-androgen effects. Um, it's usually dosed uh, in acne as 100 milligrams to 200 milligrams. It's much lower doses in blood pressure, 25 to 50 milligrams for blood pressure. Um, it's only used in females because because of its anti-androgen activity, it has carries a risk for gynecomastia, uh, which you obviously weigh those risks versus benefits in blood pressure and heart failure. Um, for acne, we generally limit it to, to females. Yeah, especially like you said, the doses are required you know, much higher. Yeah, usually 100, 200 milligrams of that, and you that kind of cholesterol risk goes up so much sure. more. And you obviously are going to want to monitor their BP and things like that. Yeah, and, and I will say too that a lot of times people get a little bit worried about okay, well, if we're using 25 to 50 milligrams of spironolactone in a patient with heart failure, you know, resistant hypertension or something, then 100, 200 milligrams must have a really strong effect. And and really, when you start getting into those type of doses. Um, you're not, you get almost like a plateau effect to yeah. some extent of, from a blood pressure lowering or any kind of like diuretic effect. Right. Um, but you will maintain that anti-androgenic effect, those higher doses. So just kind of keep that in mind, but definitely, uh, only an option for female patients. Yep. Um, and then kind of like our, our big guns that we can pull out of in, in severe cases where we're worried about, you know, scarring or, you know, just getting control of a, of a case that has basically not responded to other uh, forms of treatment. We have our oral isotretinoin option um, under the original brand name Accutane. Um, it's definitely uh, a effective option. Um, it's, I, I was on it myself when I was younger. Um, it is definitely effective, but it's it's a rough time being on <laughs> being on Accutane. It definitely has that whole, uh, it's going to get worse before it gets better sort yeah. of, um, you know, path that it follows and uh, you know nowadays it does have a lot of different generic names so you know you, you might see like um amnesteam or um clarivis and there's a, there's several others but uh they all are under this isotretinoin rems program uh, because isotretinoin is is such a potent teratogenic uh, medication that the the REM system that they develop is called iPledge. And it's something that basically just monitors patients who are able to become pregnant. They're, they're monitoring to make sure that they're using uh, appropriate, appropriate precautions to make sure that that doesn't happen. So the dermatologist that's prescribing it will be enrolled, the pharmacy will be enrolled, and then uh, there's we won't go into all the different rules and regulations of it, but it's basically something that the prescriber gets the patient registered, the pharmacy verifies it before they can actually dispense it, and you know there's this whole long process because, again, they, the teratogenic effects are pretty significant, and so they take several precautions to make sure that pregnancy does not happen while the patient's on this. Right. Related to pregnancy tests being done before. And it's funny because this is always used as like your first, a pharmacist's first exposure to a REMS program mm -hmm. is the iPledge program because it's like 
the the probably the only one or at least the most common one of the normal outpatient medications that are prescribed. There's all sorts of REMS programs and they're not all created equal. Um, for instance, one that I work with, there's no pregnancy test to be done. Um, it's related to a medication that can cause blindness. And so, and it, and there's not even any reporting of the eye exams that need to be done. It's pretty much just a, a, um, attestation from the provider that they're going to monitor their eyes and then an attestation from the patient that they're aware of the risks and that sort of thing. So they come in different, different, um, shapes and sizes, you know, and, and uh, time limits of how you can, how long it takes to complete them. Right. <laughs> Cause I feel like yes. the eye pledge is significantly more. It is significant and some are extremely significant. Um, yeah, but th- th- we just talked about the other, uh, another, it was, must've been when we, uh, did we cover Tassabri when we talked about some? Yes. Because that was one, I think, that um, the Touch or whatever the, their REMS program is. Yeah. I feel like we just talked about something with REMS recently. Clozapine? Clozapine we did, yeah. We talked about the antipsychotics not too long ago. So yeah. we've been covering some REMS programs. We touched a few. I Pledge seems to be the one that's like, yeah, definitely. you, you know the name of it. It's yeah. the first one that you hear about. Yeah. So let's put all this together. Sure. Um, First line agents. So let's say that we're dealing with papular pustular acne that we're going to call mild. Uh, you can either use benzoyl peroxide um, or a topical retinoid or a combination is fine as well. Um, it does. There's not like set, you know, standards of when to use monotherapy versus combos, and uh, it really would just be patient specific. The the how much of the, the skin is affected by, um, you know, by that. And then also, again, we, we already said papular pustular, but if, if it was comedonal versus papular pustular, that obviously can change things a little bit. But for the most part, papular pustular, we're thinking benzoyl peroxide or a topical retinoid or a combo. Um, you could also, you know, consider like Dapsone or something as well as an alternative, but usually for mild cases, those are going to be good options. Moderate, um, we're, we're usually going to start off with a combination therapy, of, you know, topical combination therapy. Uh, in the cases where, you know, there's enough inflammation to where we wouldn't necessarily say it's severe, there's no, like, cystic um, acne present, but, you know, the inflammation, the, the redness is, is pretty pronounced. You know, we may jump to an oral antibiotic um, using that in combination with a topical retinoid or maybe even a topical retinoid and a benzoyl peroxide. Um, but you know, the oral antibiotic could be introduced even in a moderate, you know, case of acne. Um, and then with severe acne, you know, at that point you're using, you know, oral antibiotics for sure on top of, you know, the con- the topical combination therapy. So usually three drugs plus, um, you know, to, is your full regimen. Or at that point, you know, you may end up having to, to go to oral isotretinoin. So it depends on kind of what they've tried in the past. Um, you know, in the case of moderate to severe, um, that also could be where your oral contraceptives come into play or your oral spironolactone. Um, you can try those as, as alternatives um, to the oral antibiotics and topical options, or you can use them in combination with topical options. There's there's a lot of different ways to mix and match. And I would say basically the, the kind of way to think about it is one patient preference, obviously what they can get access to based on their insurance, what they can tolerate as far as like skin irritation or what have you. And then, you know, what they're going to be adherent to as well. Um, you know, if they've had an, a lot of antibiotics in the past, then maybe that's not the best option. And we just need to do like triple therapy topical or something like that. Right. Um, there's, there's not like a set 
standard way of, of going through this. But um, again, just kind of thinking along the lines of the severity and, and if it is severe enough to where you're worried about scarring or, you know, the long-term complications of it, then that's where you might need to jump right to isotretinoin or, you know, escalate therapy pretty strongly. Sure. And we touched on some of the, um, I had a couple of things I wanted to mention before we close, but we before we do that, because we're almost the end of the episode. Oh, oh yes. Yeah. Well, let's give the password. That's a great idea. <laughs> Because you guys are like, where's the password? It's almost over. Um, we're gonna the password this time will be acne twenty three for two thousand twenty three. If you yes. guys are confused, A C N E twenty three twenty three. And then that if AC- you still have acne when you're twenty three, I feel sorry for you as well. I was there, but that's not what we're talking about. And now he's twenty four and <laughs> older. Yeah, but uh, so, so tw- acne twenty three is the password to get into the uh, the multiple choice post activity exam. Yes. There. All right, go ahead. We need to set like a silent alarm next time. I know. Because we almost forgot last episode too. Mm -hmm. Mm. Agreed. Mm. Um, So Mike mentioned some complications. So we kind of referenced post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation. Um, There's a couple of others that have some things that you might could do for them if they happen. So one is post-inflammatory urethema. um, Manifesting as residual persistent pink to red discoloration of the skin. It may persist following the resolution of the acne lesions. Um, certain skin types might be more prone to this, but there there's some things that they might could do to improve them. Um, not great data with any of it, but um, a pulsed dye laser is an option. Fractional microneedling, radiofrequency treatment, topical 5% tranexamic acid, um, and some other light therapies, interestingly. And then with scarring, I, I didn't realize that there might could be some, I thought if you had a scar from acne, you got a scar from acne, you mm-hmm. know, like there's nothing you can do. Um, there are some options that m- might be effective if you had somebody who, um, uh, it was very cosmetic and they wanted to pursue something. Um, minor surgical procedures, laser therapy, chemical peels, injectable soft tissue fillers, microneedling. Um, so I, I don't know that I would go for any of that, but... <laughs> They you're, are, you're not a big chemical peel guy? Yeah, I'm not a big chemical peel guy. But speaking of that, there are some um, kind of adjunct, less studied therapies that I'm not going to say I recommend, but people do. So I just want you to be aware of them because they're out there. I mentioned the pulse lasers. So light or laser therapy um, is actually not particularly uncommon. Um, they have home devices for it, and you might have seen some on TV. If you're watching TV at like 3 in the morning, you might see those things <laughs> pop up. But they do have clinician-administered light sources um, for the treatment of acne. Um, The efficacy is somewhat uncertain, and um, they don't fully understand how they work. They think it's mostly related to um, the elimination of the effects that, like, blue and red light have on the bacteria that's related to acne. Um, They also think that certain um, types of lasers can inflict thermal damage to the sebaceous glands and decrease sebum production. Um, anyways, there's a number of them. There's the broad spectrum, continuous wave, visible light sources like blue and red light. There's intense pulsed light, um, photodynamic therapy. I don't know. I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of others, though. You mentioned chemical peels. So there's office-based chemical peels. Again, not a whole lot of great data. Um, but uh, the purpose of them is that they're kind of mm, causing a superficial peel that's primarily going to affect comedonal acne and work to quicken the process of comedone resolution. Um, uh, frequently, a substance that's used for this is glycolic acid. 
um, also they'll use salicylic acid for a chemical peel. Hmm. Interestingly, uh, but there's other so painful. There's other things like microdermabrasion, comedo extraction. I've done. I've definitely had. That. I even have one of those Did tools. You? Oh yeah, really? yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness. I, still, I have one still to this day. I don't really use it that much, but I have one that you can. Yeah, you just press it, it pops them out. No way. That's yeah, pretty cool. Does it bleed? Uh, not usually. Listen to this. Comedo extraction. Okay, this is mechanical removal, mm-hmm. as Mike says. Pop it out of a comedone, and apparently can be um, useful. Sometimes they'll pre-treat with tretinoin cream for four to six weeks before. But here's the instruction to perform the extraction. Ooh, I good. guess if you don't I have one of your just pop them out. I haven't read this thing. yet. So. Gently excise the roof or enlarge the opening of the comedo with an 18-gauge needle, mm. sterile lancet, or numbered 11 blade. Gently but firmly apply pressure with a comedo extractor to the skin to remove the keratin plug or milial cyst through the opening of the extractor. Lidocaine or prilocaine cream may be applied under an occlusive dressing for 1.5 to 2 hours to the procedure uh, prior to the procedure for anesthesia. Scarring is a potential risk. Hmm. I had no idea that you could do something. Really? Like that. You've no. never seen that? Even like Dr. Uh, what's her name? That dermatologist, Dr. Pimple, Pimple Popper. Popper? Yeah, I don't she's watch that stuff. Really? No. Oh, those are hilarious. I hilarious. Love the, I, I love those videos. I'm not getting anywhere close to that. Oh, yeah, no. All right, well, we'll, I'll let you borrow my extractor. You can try it. You can try it. It is is pretty cool to watch it pop out. Go take a bunch of biotin just so I can give it a shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess uh, to finish things up, we'll do a super quick um, run through this little case that I came up with. Um, So patient that you're seeing, 18-year-old white female with a history of mild to moderate comedone and papular pustular facial acne. So she's prescribed in the past benzoyl peroxide 2.5% um, to be used every morning and tazeratine 0.05% cream every evening. Uh, she admits to limited adherence to the tazeratine due to skin irritation. And um, you note that her skin does seem to be uh, appearing somewhat oily. Her home medications besides the tazeratine and, and benzoyl peroxide only include Levora, which is um, ethanyl estradiol and levonorgestrel uh, oral contraceptives. Um, and then you look at her chart. Two months ago, she was diagnosed with a skin infection caused by methicillin-susceptible Staph aureus. She was treated with doxycycline, 100 milligrams twice daily for 14 days. Um, the infection you know, was resolved, and, and that was the end of that. Uh, so what changes would you make at this point kind of going forward? Any thoughts? Well, she's here? already on Tazerac and benzoyl peroxide topically. She happens to be on a... Um, a um, oral contraceptive already too. And then she was just treated with um, doxycycline. So I'm kind of feels like an oral antibiotic might be in her future possibly. Yeah. With doxycycline being the option. Is that what you're going for? Yeah. And I think, well, I kind of left this as kind of open because there's lots of different ways you can go with this. You know, for one, she's not using the Tazer team because of the, the you know, oh, yeah, irritation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that one study that we talked about briefly in, earlier in the episode where we talked about the adapalene, um, the 0.3% being, you know, as effective and better tolerated than the tazeratine. I think if you wanted to stick with a um, topical retinoid, you know, that would be the one to switch to. She's got oily skin, so cream would not be the, the best option, which was, which was what she received initially. Um, the gel would probably be a better option for her and they even have you know the 
the epiduo, you know, if you want to get fancy and use combo, um, and, and just make sure it's a gel. The, and the, the hormonal contraceptive that she's on, obviously the, if, if you remember the different progestions we went through that were androgen, um, resistant or, you know, at least less androgenic in activity, the living ingesterol was not one of them. And so, um, that one is actually something that can increase sebum production has androgenic uh, properties to it. So, you know, not that, if she's willing to switch to a different um, oral contraceptive, then probably something like Yaz or a drosperinone-containing product uh, would be a better option for her to kind of cut down on some of that sebum production as well and hopefully take away some of that oily skin that she's dealing with. But, yeah, I think um, the oral antibiotic would also be probably a good option if there's, you know, a lot of inflammation on the face. Maybe starting off with the epiduo and it seems like she has some going. changes she can make before she went to that. Yeah, but I, I threw that in there because if we were going to use uh, antibiotic, probably doxy would be a good choice because she's already received that for you know an, an MSSA uh, infection, and so the resistance you know she's already been exposed to. We're not as worried about the resistance there, and we're like we talked about. We're not trying to necessarily you know use it for its antimicrobial properties as, as much as we are for the anti-inflammatory properties and so doxy would probably be a good option and we can save minocycline you know for a rainy day sure um, but yeah that, i think any of those options and then obviously there's spironolactone we could add on uh, there's there's lots of different directions we could take this if we wanted to yep but yeah just want to throw that out there so it's stuff that's real easy to slip by like the vehicle and some of that nice hey thanks <laughs> Anything else uh, with acne? I think we're about out of time. That's acne. That is acne, or at least it's the the broad overview. That that's all we do. Certain, yeah, that's all we do according to certain people on Reddit. Um, <laughs> they just give a very broad overview. Anyways, um, shout out to that person. But uh, thank you guys so much for listening. I hope that was helpful. And um, for those of you who are free CE members, make sure you go get uh, your credit and uh, take the post-activity test uh, at FreeCE's website, FreeCE.com. And uh, for those of you who like the more structured uh, lecture style uh, material, and that's you learn better without our tangents and things like that, then definitely check out the Patreon. Uh, we have uh, a ton of different lectures and PowerPoint slides on there, and those are very much more the traditional lecture style. Uh, it's just me talking, so it's way more boring, in my opinion. But uh, it, the, it's $3 a month. Or you can do it's like thirty dollars and some change. You get the whole year's access of anything we put on there. So, lots of different lectures, tons and tons of PowerPoint slide sets. So check that out. Uh, if you have any questions for Cole or myself, definitely uh, send us an email. Reach us on any of the social media platforms. You can text us, uh, whatever's convenient for y'all. And that being said, we'll see you guys on the next one. Have a good one.